You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Ka. Today, we'll be finishing the trilogy of the players that we are watching in spring training for fantasy purposes. We've broken it down into divisions. We started with the AL and NL West. We did the AL and NL Central last week. And today, we will cover the AL and NL East. But before we start getting into that, John, how are you doing? Where is your TGFBI draft at now? Is it still going? Yeah, we are in round 22. Uh, we have two more picks, and then we're going to be in round 23. So we are not, um, you know, us. We, we don't have a ton of picks left. I, I have eight more picks to make. Um, and we've been fighting with League 28 over which one's the slowest, uh, which one's the slowest draft in all TGFBI. <laughs> so it's been a fun race. Um, but I'm looking forward to finishing this draft and having a full team that I can look at and see if I... Uh, hate it or not i mentioned this last time i think but i believe my draft last season for tgfbi was one of the slowest as well so i feel your pain i know what you're yeah. going through on this it's not <laughs> fun but my team in general i'm actually pretty happy with we finished our draft on tuesday we're recording this on thursday of course but my team looks pretty good i'll recap the first 10 rounds and then just go through 11 through 30 for you guys and just tell you about where i'm kind of upset some strategy but my first 10, as I told you before, was Manny Machado, Mike Trout, Cedric Mullins, Corey Seager, Ryan Helsley, Max Freed, Starling Marte, Logan Gilbert, Pablo Lopez, Joe Musgrove. That rounds out the first 10. Then picks 11 through 20 were Vaughn Grissom, Josh Bell, Cody Bellinger. Didn't realize there was two Bells back to back there for me. Tristan Casas, Evan Phillips, Estieri Ruiz, Shea Langoliers, Edward Cabrera, Jose Urquidy, and Eric Haas. And then 21 through 30 was Trent Grisham, Luis Renjifo, Trevor May, Mackenzie Gore, Brett Beatty, Tommy Pham, Adbert Alzale, Drew Smiley, Luke Voigt, and Mike Zanino. So I really like my team. I think it's very good. John, what do you think about my team? I, I do like the relievers you picked up there because there's a lot of sneaky, uh, sneaky opportunities for saves there. Um, I always believe, you know, someone has to get the saves right on every single team. So Trevor May, I think, is a really good dark horse reliever. Um, he is the highest paid player on the A's. So he <laughs> should be getting those saves, regardless of how poorly he's pitching, uh, because they basically traded away his competition in AJ Pook. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I, I do like the draft overall, because like you, I went with Machado and Seager in my first four. Okay. Um, so clearly we both like both of those guys um so that'll be fun but uh yeah overall pretty solid um i do love the shay langoliers pick i think that's that's an interesting one good good uh good catcher pick up there yeah so my strategy for catcher was mainly this that it didn't end up working but there's two catchers well technically three if you count francisco alvarez but there's two catchers that don't have catcher eligibility to start the season and they're util only on nfbc and that's shay langoliers and Mitch Garver. Now, Mitch Garver's mostly DHing for Texas, but on days that Jonah Heim's not catching, I expect him to. So I think that he will, over time, maybe the first month of the season, get that catcher eligibility. And Shea Langoliers is the full-time catcher for the A's, so I expect him to have that within the first week or so. So 
my goal was to get those two guys as my catcher because I didn't want to pay the price of one of those top guys, even though I love people like Varsho and Will Smith and JT Realmuto. I didn't want to invest that high in this draft. So I said, you know what? Let's try to manipulate this market where people might not know that these two guys are util only because when people sort it by catcher, their names don't pop up. Mm-hmm. So I said, maybe I can take advantage of some of these industry experts and <laughs> get that on my team. And I did get Shea Langoliers in round 17, but Mitch Garver was taken right before me in round 20, which I was very upset about. It ruined my strategy a little bit. That's why I went with Eric Haas and Mike Zanino. I needed two guys with catcher eligibility, and then Shea Langoliers will get that, and I'll drop Zanino. But mm-hmm. that was my strategy, a catcher. I was hoping it would go well. And yeah, re- relief pitching. Last season, I didn't have good relievers, and I kind of had to play the fab budget game all season long with relievers. I think I had like Julian Merriweather I spent a billion dollars on, and... There was just not much fun going on when you have to spend your fab every week on an up-and-coming closer that might not get anything. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get one lockdown guy, which I got Helsley. And then I took Evan Phillips, which I took the flyer on for the Dodgers. I hope he's the closer. If he is, then I'm looking so good. And then Trevor May, like you said, he's got a close, right? He's the highest paid player on the A's, and he's got the track record of being a closer. And then Adbert Alzale is a sneaky choice for maybe being the Chicago Cubs closer. He's going to be a great reliever. And if he's not the closer, I just drop him and pick someone else up. So that was my strategy there. And then just some late round picks that I'm happy about. I'm glad I got Tommy Pham, not because I like Tommy Pham, for instance, but I think if you do take Starling Marte in one of those earlier rounds, like I got him in the seventh, I think it's good to take Tommy Pham later on because if Marte does miss time, most likely Tommy Pham will take his spot, maybe Mark Canna, but I think Tommy Pham will get that playing time. So I like that pick just for that reason. Brett Beatty, someone we'll talk about more later, I think is a good sneaky pick. Could be good for my corner infield slot. And then Luke Voigt also. I think that he's got potential if he plays for the Brewers. He's -hmm. got potential to maybe hit 25 home runs. I mean, he's done it before. He's a good power bat. So I think my team rounded up nice to form. What do you think about your team so far, John? Tell us about it. Yeah, I'm 22 picks in. So, you know, still got eight picks to go. But um got Manny Machado, Freddie Freeman, Corey Seager, Ozzy Alves. I basically just wanted to make sure my infield was good in the first four picks. Um and then I went with the other Ryan closer, uh Ryan Presley of Houston. I I was actually very tempted to double tap Presley and Helsley um at the 5-6 turn, but uh, as we've talked about plenty of times on this podcast, um outfield is not very deep. So I went with George Springer there. Um then Blake Snell, Logan Webb, Max Muncie, who I believe is has you know potential to be a thirty home run hitter. He has second and third base eligibility, which is very nice. Yep. Um, and then Reese Hoskins, Drew Rasmussen. I went for the double tap on catcher here. I went Danny Jansen, Kyber Ruiz. Um, I really, I, I've been kind of feeling this out in the in these fifteen team two catcher leagues where I get like a lower tier catcher one and then a higher tier catcher two. Um, I really liked uh jansen he was kind of my third option at for that high for that low catcher one i really wanted cal raleigh here actually but he unfortunately got picked around ahead of me um and then kybert's just the everyday catcher for washington they figure he's going to get at bats so so why not um and then alex verdugo will myers nathan eovaldi zach eflin who i'm pretty high on uh manny margot brandon fott who um doesn't currently have a rotation spot but he's been looking good in spring so maybe he does end up as the number five uh, pitcher in arizona then john birdie for some steals andrew mccutcheon to round out my outfielders i think he's going to play enough to you know get me 15 homers in that fifth outfielder spot which i'd be very happy with 
Um, and then Kendall Graveman, who looks like one of he looks like the favorite right now to get the saves in Chicago until Liam Hendricks uh, comes back. Um, but there's also the threat of Renato Lopez taking over that spot. So I probably will need a couple more relievers to shore out that rotation. Uh, maybe a couple more outfielders because relying on Andrew Kutchen as your outfield five is not a very fun time. Um, so we'll see what happens in the next eight picks. Yeah, I like your team a lot. I think you really have to find some good late outfield picks and good starting pitcher picks later mm-hmm. on just to give yourself some more confirmation that your team's going to hold up the whole season and be good. Yeah. But I think your infield is dynamite. I think your reliever core is good. I think your catchers are great. I love Danny Jansen and Kybert Ruiz. Every chance that I wanted to take a catcher, like I said, which is the reason why I lean so hard on the util catcher idea, mm-hmm. is because every time that I was planning on taking a catcher, there'd be three that left the board before my pick. So like Tyler yeah. Stevenson, Cal Rowley, both went before I could even pick. Kybert Ruiz, Jonah Heim, Gabriel Moreno, Danny Jansen all went way Mm -hmm. at the other side of the draft where I just had no chance to get them. So when something like that happens, you kind of have to pivot the strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So another thing that I'm excited about outside of TGFBI is my home league, which I've ran for eight years. It's a nice little 10 team four keeper league head to head five by five with OBP instead of average and quality starts over wins just with me and my close friends, what I really got back into fantasy with, and we have so much fun in that league. We actually have a really cool way to determine the draft order, and we did that this past weekend. If you want to see anything about that, it's on my Twitter, at Regicidal, R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. So go and follow me, check out that post. I made a thread about it, and it's really, really unique. I think you'll get a kick out of it, everybody. But yeah, we had that meeting last weekend and it was a ton of fun i got to see all my friends we got to select the draft order and i got the second pick and it's the most important draft so far of our league history because you can only keep a player for three years and we implemented that rule three years ago so all of the top guys like aaron judge ronald acuna jr joe ram trey turner mike trout juan soto manny machado rafael devers freddie freeman mookie betts i can go on jordan alvarez Garrett Cole, all those guys are in this year's draft, so it's going to be packed, fun. Are you looking forward to any upcoming home leagues? Are you in any other leagues? I think you're in Rad Slam, so yeah. So Rad Slam is another industry league. It's a best ball league. It's kind of funny because the team sizes are 42 us player rosters. Oh wow. Um, yeah, but it's it's a best ball league, and there's actually only two fab runs the entire season, so. It's definitely one of those leagues where you just kind of set and forget, which I'm very happy about. Um, but I do have my home league uh, draft coming up in a couple of weeks and then just a couple other pitcherless uh, leagues that I'm in that already drafted. But, you know, there's still plenty of time in the offseason to do some fun stuff. So, um, yeah, looking forward to opening day when we actually have, you know, real baseball and, and stats accumulating and in, in fantasy and, of course, the pain and anguish of uh, the upcoming season. Of course. I mean, we have to hopefully win the Pitcherless Podcast League this season because we came in second last season. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't know when our draft is for that, but I'm looking forward to doing that one. And yeah, I am hoping that you have a good Razzlam team and have a good home league draft. My home league draft is on the next Sunday, so the 19th of March. So really looking forward to that. But outside of fantasy drafts, We have something very important going on, and that's the WBC, the World Baseball Classic. It is Mm -hmm. super exciting that meaningful baseball is back already. And this happens every three to four years, obviously because of COVID. It didn't happen in 2020. 
because that's when it was scheduled to be technically. So we do have it six years later now in 2023. But nonetheless, it's back and it is amazing. The lineups, the rotations, these teams are stacked, John. Do you have any favorite teams or anything of note for the WBC? Yeah, I mean, you got to love Team USA. It's such a stacked lineup. Um, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but Jeff McNeil is batting number nine yeah. for uh, for the USA. Like, when you can put a, the batting champ as your number nine hitter, that that sounds pretty good. Uh, but it's it's hard to to say that the Dominican Republic isn't going to win the whole thing. Um, their pitching is elite. Uh, their lineup is really really solid. Um, it's it's hard to argue against that team uh, winning the whole thing, um, but. Japan's also fun. Venezuela is also fun. Um, just a lot of a lot of good teams. Actually, the thing that was surprising to me was the Netherlands. Uh, the first game of the season, Netherlands versus Cuba, and uh, I didn't realize how stacked the infield for the Netherlands was. Uh, first base is Didi Gregorius. Second base was Jonathan Scope. Third base, Xander Borgarts. Uh, sorry, shortstop Xander Borgarts, and then third base is uh, Antoine Simmons. Uh, and then you also had Drix and Profar out in left field. So just the fact that like a team like the Netherlands has five legitimate major leaguers on their team. Uh, D.D. Gregorius might not be a legit major leaguer anymore. Um, but yeah, that like just a random team. Like the Netherlands is also kind of stacked. Um, so WBC is just so much fun. Uh, just really cool to see where all these teams and their rosters are at. Um, and we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah, the Netherlands beat Cuba that game 4-2, to two, and I got to see... A guy that I despise. Yoannis Cespedes is on Team Cuba, which I yeah. just can't get behind him. He was great as an acquisition for the Mets at the trade deadline that one year where we went on a great run. But after that, he was just a giant headache. So I cannot believe I saw Cespedes on there. It was actually crazy because Italy played Cuba and Matt Harvey was on the mound for Italy pitching against oh, yeah. Yoannis Cespedes. <laughs> so... I just can't believe that. But yeah, I think the four favorite teams, I'll be surprised if one of these teams don't win it all. And I think any of these teams can win it all. But Dominican mm -hmm. Republic, Team USA, Venezuela, and Japan. I think those are the four favorites. Puerto Rico's good. Mexico's good as well. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, listen to this Team USA lineup. Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Kyle Tucker, Pete Alonzo or Kyle Schwarber at DH, JT Realmuto, Jeff McNeil. I mean... What is going on? The rotation is the only thing I'm worried about, which is Adam Wainwright, Brady Singer, Miles Michaelis, Merrill Kelly, Lance Lynn. The bullpen is really good, but that starting rotation is not as great as the Dominican Republic. Now, for the Dominican Republic, their lineup is Julio Rodriguez, Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Rafael Devers, Teoscar Hernandez, Wander Franco, Jeremy Pena, Jaimer Candelario, and Gary Sanchez with the rotation of Sandy Alcantara. Christian Javier, Johnny Cueto, and Romanzi Contreras. So, mm -hmm. man, that is just so stacked. Yeah, it's, I mean, the WBC is also kind of, you know, like a, a best on best sort of thing where you, it's just one game, right? That That's kind of what decides a lot of, a lot of these matchups. So, um, it, you know, when you, when you have the USA team with that stacked of a lineup and you have the Dominican Republic with that stacked of a lineup, right? It ends up really just coming down to, who's on the mound, and it's, you know, it's likely going to be Sandy Alcantara versus Adam Wainwright? Yeah, probably. probably. Like, oh man, that's uh, that's going to be a really tough, tough match. Yeah, because I think the Team USA lineup is just otherworldly, but 
man, when Sandy is opposing you or Christian Javier is opposing you, nothing is easy. So mm-hmm. it's going to be very interesting to see. Team Japan also, I'm really excited to watch people that I don't get to watch on a normal basis. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Roki Sasaki, apparently the next up-and-coming guy from Japan that is incredible. He's a pitcher. I can't wait to watch him pitch because I've heard nothing but insane things about him. So okay. it's going to be really awesome to see him. He's apparently the next Otani, not obviously a two-way player, but in terms of stuff, he is the greatest pitcher that came out of Japan. So uh-huh. Roki Sasaki, a name to watch. I can't wait. But the rotation there, Otani, Darvish, Sasaki, I mean, that's lethal. And Lars Nupar is on Team Japan, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of fun because actually South Korea is playing yesterday. And um, Tommy Edmonds on the South Korean team. Yeah, but he actually right. ended up getting um, thrown out for the last out of the game. And, uh So South Korea ended up losing. But um, yeah, it's always fun to see who's playing for what teams. Um, it was actually kind of a funny story where, because a lot of these teams have been scrimmaging major league teams, right? And so Mike Trout actually played against the Angels for the first time in his career. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Tyler Anderson threw a, threw a ball a little bit high and in uh, to Mike Trout. A little, a little dangerous out there, but, you know, they're just having fun. Yeah, you uh, can't have any friendly fire, especially to Mike Trout. That's not the guy you want a friendly fire <laughs> on. It's pretty crazy, too, that when Team USA faces Team Mexico, mm-hmm. Mike Trout will face his teammate Patrick Sandoval, who's pitching for yeah. Team Mexico. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. if Japan ever does play USA, Shohei Otani will be going up against Mike Trout, and that is for sure something that the world will be watching because that yeah. is an iconic moment because they apparently have never even faced each other in BP. Really? Yeah, apparently oh, I've heard surprising. that Otani has never thrown to Mike Trout. Huh, okay, interesting. Looking forward to it. Hopefully it happens. We can only hope that that's the finale because we would love to see two-way player Otani in the finale hitting homers and pitching lights out. So, yeah. Moving on to the MLB news since our last podcast, we have a big one here Carlos Rodon will start the year on the IL due to a mild left forearm strain. He won't throw for 7 to 10 days. Aaron Boone said, in a perfect world, he'll return in April, which to me sounds like he'll return in May. Obviously, it's not a perfect world. But Rodon getting hurt is a huge blow for fantasy, for Yankee fans. Pretty tough here. Anything to note on the Carlos Rodon injury, John? Yeah, it's just tough because Rodon was having one of the better like two season stretches that anyone could ask for. Um, I mean, you know, it's a great story that you know, he was just injured a lot with the White Sox. They cut him um, in 2020 and then he comes back to the team in 2021, finds the form, throws a near perfect game. Um, and then the White Sox opt to not resign him. He goes to the Giants on kind of a show me sort of contract where he had a player option does great for the Giants, opts out, and then ends up signing this long-term contract with the Yankees. Um, just a great story, and then it just sucks that he's he's going to have to deal with this. I mean, he, they're saying that, you know, he dealt with this injury last year. If he had this injury during the season, he'd play through it. So I don't know how severe it is. People are saying that he's going to start the season IL. Obviously, Boone said he'll return in April. So who knows how tough this is. The, the interesting thing here is this concept of the Tommy John honeymoon period, which was kind of started by Jeff Zimmerman, who's uh, the writer of the process. Um, basically, his his theory is that, you know, between three to 400 innings, you're kind of safe after getting Tommy John um, to, that you're not going to re-injure your elbow. Tommy And Rodon had Tommy John uh, before 2021. And then he, since then, he's pitched 
311 innings and boom now he's dealing with um forearm issues so um you know maybe maybe the theory holds water I, i'm not 100 percent sure but it just really just sucks for rodon i mean he was going to be really really solid contributor for the yankees and for your fantasy teams and now we don't know if he's even going to be available for the first month of the season yeah i'm glad you mentioned that 300 to 400 inning thing after Tommy John surgery because I saw that as well and I was going to mention that so yeah that's crazy that that is the time frame so to speak for that honeymoon period of Tommy John and it's scary to think about that but if that is true you can kind of pencil out these guys who had Tommy John to see when the next problem might surface now it's not a guaranteed thing of course but Mm -hmm. it makes it easier to project like okay he's coming up on inning 300 uh uh-oh like something might happen here so you never want to see an injury like this, especially for Odon, who's going in the top five pitchers for fantasy this season. And the Yankees' probably biggest acquisition, obviously they re-signed Aaron Judge, but in terms of new talent they brought in, Rodon was that guy. And man, that's got to stink because he is probably their second best pitcher right behind Garrett Cole, and he's been doing great recently. So hopefully Rodon feels better soon and this isn't anything worse. Yeah. Next, we have Brendan Rodgers, who dislocated his left shoulder. He could be out for the season. However, they're seeking other opinions. Andrew Painter has right elbow tenderness. Apparently, hasn't been told that he needs surgery. He just needs time to heal. So it seems like it's not a major issue. However, if he does not have that fifth spot in the rotation, Bailey Falter seems to be the fifth starter for the Phillies. So that's a name to keep an eye on. But Andrew Painter was looking great be talking a little bit more about him later hopefully he's okay and maybe can crack that rotation to start will smith the pitcher signed with the texas rangers yuli guriel signed with the miami marlins brad hand signed with the colorado rockies james paxton has a grade one hamstring strain he's hoping to get back on the mound by the end of this week vladimir guerrero jr has right knee inflammation and soreness It's apparently not serious, and he should be ready for opening day, but definitely keep an eye out on Vlad. Mike Clevenger will not face discipline under MLB's joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy for now. He was under investigation for a domestic violence issue, but MLB ruled that he will not face discipline. Remember, this was just an MLB investigation, not a police investigation, so Clevenger is okay for now. He's ramping up to start pitching, but you never know what the situation Nick Gordon has a high ankle sprain. Jose Quintana has a stress fracture in his fifth rib on his left side. There's currently no timetable for his return. And David Peterson or Tyler McGill is expected to have his spot in the rotation. Michael Brantley is out due to a personal matter. His opening day status is in question. Justin Turner was hit by a pitch in the face. There was no fracture, but he needed 16 stitches and will miss the next two weeks. He could be ready for opening day, but... Obviously, the Red Sox are going to give him as much time as he needs to recover. Thankfully, there was no fracture. John, did you see the video on Twitter? I mean, you really couldn't see the hit-by-pitch because the camera wasn't that great. But basically, he just went down and got up, and you just saw blood coming out of his face. Yeah, I I didn't watch it, but everything I read basically said it looked pretty scary. Yeah, you never want to see someone get hit in the face. And thank God, no fracture and just some cuts on his face. Hopefully, he's okay. Scary moment. You never want to see. Yeah, it's it's a good thing that yeah he only needs stitches. So yeah, it could honestly, have been way worse. Yeah, and it wasn't like he's like the big you know pickup for the Red Sox, but they do need his bat in the lineup. So um, it's it's at least encouraging that he 
is likely going to be ready for opening day. Absolutely. Miguel Vargas has finally been cleared to swing. I thought it was hilarious because he was taking at bats even though he couldn't swing and pitchers yeah. knew that he couldn't swing, yet Vargas still drew some walks. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite thing was Zach Grinke throwing Ephesus to Miguel Vargas. Yeah. Like, it's it's just classic Zach Grinke just having the time of his life with a guy who he knows won't swing at a ball. He's like, well, let me just, you know, throw an Ephesus because I can do that. Yeah, if you guys look up Zach Grinke versus Miguel Vargas, it was pretty funny. He was grunting and throwing 90-mile-per-hour fastballs down the <laughs> middle, and then he would throw a 65-mile-per-hour Ephesus down the middle, and it was pretty funny. Yeah. Tony Gonsolin sprained his left ankle during workouts on Monday. His opening day status is in question. Some notes here from spring training. Fernando Tatis Jr. started spring 0 for 13, which obviously he hasn't played all year last year after being suspended and being hurt. So an 0 for 13 start, it's pretty justified since he hasn't played in a while, but still something to note, especially because he's going to be suspended to start the year. He's going to miss a few games, so who knows if he'll be able to get back into the swing of things. We're hoping it ramps up. And then also, people who are having hot springs, we have Garrett Mitchell, Spencer Steer, Matt Olson, Jordan Walker, and Jared Kelenic. All five of those guys are off to ripping starts in spring, so keep an eye on those guys. Obviously, Matt Olson goes way higher in drafts than the others, but the other guys are definitely someone to keep note of. And last but not least, Lorenzo Kane has officially retired from Major League Baseball. He was a big fantasy guy for a while, a nice homer speed combo in the outfield, but Lorenzo Kane is hanging up his cleats. John, any notes about any of this stuff that we just heard about? I think it's interesting that Tatis is 0-13. Obviously, like he's also going to have this period where he's continuing to serve his suspension. Um, so maybe he actually gets ready during that period whether that's an extended spring training or something like that um so it'll be interesting to see how he continues uh, there and then Jose Quintana was one of those guys that was kind of targeting at the end of a lot of drafts um because you know he, when he's on he's on fifth starter for the Mets it didn't seem like he was going to get pushed out of that position anytime soon uh, but with his injury um, obviously he's probably not going to be starting the season and now it's going to be interesting to see who takes the place of that whether that's going to be David Peterson or Tyler McGill yeah I think David Peterson's a strong favorite to start in the rotation he's been pretty good in spring and I think they'd want a lefty in there just to counterbalance everything so I think David Peterson's the guy to start Hopefully, Jose Quintana's okay because I really liked him as a sneaky acquisition and I like taking him late in drafts, so really hoping that he's okay. But before we get into the heart of this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we are on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. Now, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some players from the AL and NL East. Stay tuned. All right, John, get us started with a player that you like from the AL East. Yeah, so we're going to start with the division champs, the Yankees. Uh, we already mentioned this a little bit, but... Uh, basically, with injuries to both uh, Carlos Rodon and Nestor Cortez, uh, the Yankees' rotation, which looked really good at the, in the offseason, is now kind of in doubt. And so I think that puts the spotlight on the next guy, who's now the number two starter, uh, Luis Severino. Um, the challenge for Severino has pretty much always been health. 
Um, he's only pitched a combined 120 innings since 2019, so not a lot of opportunities there. The projections also agree, too. Most of them have him around 140 innings total for this season. The stuff has really never been an issue for Severino. He's got a career 3.39 ERA, uh, a 1.12 whip. Uh, he has a K minus BB ratio of 20.3%. Um, so clearly, you know, he's he's got the stuff. He's he's able to strike people out. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. Um, but unfortunately, he just doesn't pitch a lot. Um, when we look at PLV metrics, Severino is in the top 50 for both PLV and PLA, which is um, basically kind of an ERA estimator that we've got. Um, so the main thing then for Severino is what do we want to focus on, right? What do we want to see this spring? Uh, well, now that we're actually halfway through spring training, we actually have some data on how Severino is doing. And it frankly has not been pretty. In his two starts, he's given up seven earned runs in nearly five innings of work. Although in his second outing, he did strike out six batters. So there was a, you know, a silver lining there. Um, his fastball has looked okay. Velocity-wise, it's kind of only down about half a tick from his season average last year. He's The main thing that I'm interested in, though, is the fact that he increased his slider usage and, as a result, is throwing his changeup less. And this is a good thing. Um, when we look at PL metrics, his slider grades out as an above-average pitch. It has a PLA of 3.23, and the changeup grades as a below-average pitch with a PLA of 4.22. What does this all mean? PLA basically is an estimator that says if you threw this pitch for nine innings against average batters, what would be the expected runs in those in those nine innings? Um, kind of for reference, you know, a really good PLA is um, like Degrom. Um, he's got a two PLA, so that, that's kind of the elite kind of numbers. Um, kind of some other names. Julio Rios is a 2.9 PLA. Uh, and then when we look at pitch-specific PLA, right, obviously you're not going to be throwing a slider for nine straight innings, but it's just an interesting thing of if you did throw that that pitch for that that many times, how many runs would give up? Clearly his slider is pretty solid, and his changeup is not. Um, and so the fact that he is throwing the slider more and throwing the changeup less is a good thing. I want to see if that continues through the rest of spring training or if it's something that he's just kind of messing with right now. Um, if he does keep that going, though, for the for the rest of spring and then even into the beginning of the season, I think that makes Severino's outlook look a lot better. Um, of course, the biggest issue is always just going to be health with him. Yeah, people forget that Luis Severino was a budding ace that was a fantasy asset because that mm -hmm. one season that he had where he dominated – his stuff was legit. People were eating it up, and he was just dominating. So he was one of those guys that was being drafted as a top 10 starting pitcher the following season. And after that, he just got hurt over and over again. And it's good to see him rounding back to form. I hope he can hit that 140, 150 innings total for this season. And if he does, I think he'll be a top 20 starting pitcher for fantasy. Mm -hmm. I think he's really good. His stuff is nasty. And if he changes, like you said, gets rid of that changeup and use that slider more, I think we could see some promising things. His velocity is pretty much the same as it was when he dominated as well. Yeah, he went 19-8 and eight that year, which is incredible. Like, yeah, I don't that's think he's, gonna, he's not going to go that this year, but assuming that he pitches at what we know his, let's just say his 90th percentile, right? His ability there. Right. I, this is, yeah, this is a guy who could be easily in the top 20. Um, he's in the top 50 right now. It's not going to take a lot for him to leap over some guys if he really has that ace stuff going. Oh, I completely agree. Severino is definitely someone that has caught my eye in drafts this season. Moving to the NL East, the champions of the NL East by just a little bit over my Mets, were <laughs> the Atlanta Braves. And the guy that I'm very interested from this team is Vaughn Grissom. He's actually been someone that I've been drafting a lot so far. 
he's my number one target if I don't get one of the top four second basemen like Altuve, Semien, Chisholm, or Albies. Mainly because of what I saw him do last season and that the Braves believe in him. If the Braves believe in him, I should believe in him. They let Dansby Swanson walk and they didn't sign one of the many big free agent shortstops that were available like Carlos Correa or Xander Bogarts, all because of Grissom. So the Braves are a smart organization and they wouldn't give this kid the opportunity if they didn't think he was ready. Last year in 41 games, Grissom had a slash line of 291, 353, 440 with 24 runs scored, 5 home runs, 5 steals, and 18 RBI, which is fantastic for a guy that wasn't really on anyone's radar. The Braves just pull guys out of nowhere, it seems like. First Albies, then Grissom. It's pretty wild, actually. But for spring training, I'm not really looking for anything in particular, to be honest. If I had to choose anything, I'd like to see his fly ball percentage increase. I'd like to see if that power is legit. He had a 44.1% ground ball percentage last season and a 24.1% fly ball percentage. Small sample size, of course, but if he can just raise that fly ball percentage up this season then I don't see a reason why Grissom can't have a 2020 season. The downside of him, though, is if he struggles defensively or offensively, he could be sent down and replaced with Orlando Arcia. However, I think the Braves want to give Grissom a shot, and they're not going to go with the whole Arcia plan, but if he does struggle, that's the downside. However, I think that he is going to be great. He's a great late-round target in drafts, and I can realistically see something like a 15-15 season for him, even if all things don't break right. Yeah, based on PL metrics, he has basically league average power, which is which is what you'll take for a guy who you're likely slotting in as a middle infield spot or, or a utility spot. Yep. Um he's maybe at the tail end of guys that you'd consider picking up, you know, if you're really struggling for for a second baseman or shortstop. The the only small concern I have, and it's not even that big of a concern, is that he's batting number ninth um in, in the lineup. And he will have opportunities though, because that, that Atlanta lineup is is incredible so um even batting ninth in that in that lineup is not the biggest detriment it's just going to cut down on his opportunities or plate appearances and things like that yeah i think when anyone bats ninth when you lose those plate appearances it's rough for sure thankfully he's in a great lineup where if it just turns around and it starts off with him leading off the inning and then it goes into acuna albies matt olsen i mean He's going to score a lot of runs. Even the tail half of the Braves lineup is going to be good for RBI for Von Grissom as well. So, yeah, I also agree that losing those plate appearances is rough, but at least his situation is good. It's not like he's batting ninth for the Rangers or the A's <laughs> or the Brewers. Like, that's a bad situation. So, it yeah. is something to think about, but I think Von Grissom's great. And remember, he's only 22 years old. That's insane. Yeah, and and kind of the... The adage is that, you know, your power grows as you age. So, you know, he might be hitting 15 homers now. He, he might legitimately be like a, you know, a 20 homer guy in a, in a couple of years. Yeah, I'm still waiting for that power thing to work out. I'm 30 and I really still can't hit a home run. So <laughs> I'm hoping yeah, that comes soon. Yeah, you'll get there soon. I hear that, you know, baseball players peak and later on. Yeah, I heard around like 38. I'll start really being in my prime for home runs. Yeah, it's just it's the Nelson Cruz. Strategy. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Uh, well, moving back to the AL East, we've got to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, there's a lot of fun names on this roster. You know, Vlad Guerrero Jr., who, you know, kind of had a down season last year, but is still, you know, the first round in most drafts. Bo Bichette, who a lot of people were, you know, putting as their number one guy last year, which I thought was a little insane, but he's actually proved to be pretty solid. Um, not a number one guy, but definitely a, a first, second round sort of player. 
Uh, but the guy that I'm interested in is actually Dalton Varsho. Um, he was traded from the Diamondbacks to the Jays uh, over the offseason. And, of course, the reason why everyone loves Dalton Varsho is because he has catcher eligibility, despite the fact that he's just going to be the everyday left fielder for the Jays this upcoming season. Um, his stock rose pretty quickly uh, because he went from a free catcher last year to basically a top three catcher this year, right? He's in that conversation with JT Real Muto and Will Smith. Um, and frankly, this is this is likely going to be the last year that he has catcher eligibility because the Jays already have two guys in Danny Jansen, who we mentioned, and Alejandro Kirk. Um, and they don't have a lot of outfield depth. So it's likely that Varsho is going to play left, left field as much as possible. Um, his value in fantasy is, just comes from the fact that A, he's a catcher that hits bombs, and B, he's a catcher that gets steals. Uh, last year, he provided 27 homers, 16 steals, a really solid contribution. If you think about JT Real Muto with his 2020 season, that's basically, it's basically between those two as who's the number one guy. Um, he's also in a more potent Jays lineup this year, no offense to the Diamondbacks, so we should expect more opportunities for runs and RBIs from Varsho this year. Um, he's batting fifth in the lineup, and that's one of those things that I want to see from Varsho this spring, and specifically the Jays, actually, to see where they put him in the lineup. Of course, that's one of those things that it's just hard to tell in spring training if if the lineups that they have are actually going to stick in the regular season. Um, but it's just something to be aware about. The other thing I want to see from Varsho, actually, is whether the Jays let him steal, which, again, is another thing that's really hard to decipher through spring training. Um a lot has been made about the steal attempts trying to astronomically increasing this spring training compared to previous years. Uh, but just because teams are stealing more in spring does not mean that they're going to steal more in the regular season. Yes, there's things like the pitch clock and how many times that pitchers can throw over the first base, as well as the bigger base that should um, make it easier for guys to steal bases. Um, and it's going to be more helpful for guys like Varsha who have that speed to steal. Um, but we just don't know if it's this is what it's going to look like in the regular season. Um, Stats-wise, the Jays have let him attempt to steal three times in nine different games. He's been successful twice. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's maybe a good sign that they're willing to have, to have him run. Uh, but we really won't get a good sense for this until we're much closer uh, to the regular season. I love Varsho if I can in drafts, if the price makes sense. I love to grab Varsho because I think he is going to be such a difference maker at the catcher position. Obviously, mm -hmm. Real Muto just went 20-20, and he'll probably do something similar to that again. But Varsho's upside is tremendous, especially because the Blue Jays just moved their fence in right field in. I think it was yeah. about 20 feet. And I think, don't quote me on this, anybody, just off the top of my head. I think it's about 350 feet which now makes it the closest distance right field out of all the parks in the majors, even more so than Yankee Stadium. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, if I have my numbers right, then Varsho is going to be taking full advantage of that since he's more of a pull hitter. So yeah. if he can do that, if he can be in a scenario like that instead of Chase Field where he hit 27 homers as his home park, I mean, he could hit 30 home runs with ease. Now, the steals we don't know about, if you want to take a really big, bold prediction this season is that Varsho does what no other catcher has ever done and has a 30-30 season with the bigger bases, 16 steals under his belt already from last season. Maybe he gets that number, but I don't think so. I think realistically we could see 30 homers and 10 steals out of the catcher spot with a lot mm -hmm. of runs scored and a decent amount of RBI. I like Varsho a lot this season, and man, the Jays are just a good team. Yeah, they're so stacked. 
um, it's almost unfair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for real. Varsho is going to be a big help there, and they're going to let him play every day in the outfield. He's obviously not going to have catcher eligibility next season, but they traded away Gabriel Moreno for him and Lourdes Gurriel Jr., so he's going to be playing, and they're going to need his bat to perform in that mm-hmm. lineup. Yep. Moving back to the NL East with my New York Mets. As you all know by now, I am a Mets fan, and I'm excited about a lot of players that are on this current team. I could have talked about Kodai Senga, who I'm really excited about, that ghost forkball. Alonzo or Lindor, although they just had fantastic seasons, so there's not much to talk about. But I'm going with Brett Beatty. Beatty is the second best prospect out of the Mets farm system, right behind Francisco Alvarez, of course. And he's been off to a hot start in spring so far. In 21 plate appearances, Beatty has a 474 average, a home run, a double, 5 RBI, and a stolen base. Beatty had a cup of coffee in the majors last season where he played in 11 games, hit two homers, and hit for a 184 average. Of course, he suffered a UCL tear in his right thumb, which ended his season in 2022. But in that time, Beatty averaged over 91 miles per hour on 30 batted balls, topping out at 113 miles per hour, which placed him in the 89th percentile for max exit velocity. Now look, I love Eduardo Escobar, but I think Beatty is the best option for the Mets at third base. He trained with Troy Tulowitzki over the offseason to work on his defense there, and I think his bat is good enough to eventually become a 30 home run hitter. The main things that I'm looking for in spring training is, how does the defense look, and is he lifting the ball rather than hitting it on the ground? which since I've watched a lot of his spring so far, he's doing just that. Beatty's fantasy value really hinges on if he gets the playing time. If he's squaring up the ball, playing defense well, and looking ready, he'll really force the Mets' hand. And I think if all things break right, Brett Beatty's going to be more so of a Corey Seager light who can bat 270 to 280 and hit 20 to 25 homers. And I think eventually, like I said, will become that 30 home run hitter. So I like Brett Beatty a lot. I took him in the 25th or 26th round of TGFBI, so if he looks remotely good as a late-round corner infield spot, I think he's worth the shot. Yeah, I unfortunately don't know a ton about Brett Beatty, but just kind of looking at his um, stats in the minors on fan graphs, the one thing that jumps out to me is just the high strikeout rate um, combined with a really good walk rate. So there is that. I mean, it's... It's always the case with every single rookie you're going to say this, right? I just want to see how his plate discipline is. Um, if he does kind of stay with his averages, though, of like, you know, striking about 25% of the time, walking 12% of the time, I think that's actually pretty solid from from a rookie. Um, obviously, you'd like to bring that strikeout rate down, but that, that's just how it works sometimes. Um, so, yeah, if, if he can kind of match those numbers, his walk rate was abysmal and his last year with his 11 games but it was just 11 games so i'm not going to really put much stock into it um but if he can bring that walk rate up uh bring basically bring that obp up i i think he's actually a guy who could be a sneaky uh corner infield pickup in a lot of deep leagues and he's a good enough hitter to make that change to be able to cut that strikeout percentage and just make good contact on the ball i mean just seeing his swing he is a really good contact hitter like i said Corey seager light he reminds me a lot of Corey seager so Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Beatty. Hope he does well. I even have his first Bowman autograph card graded a BGS 9.5. So hoping he does well for investment purposes as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. For fantasy and investment purposes. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Well, and also real life rooting purposes. Yeah. yeah. There's a trifecta <laughs> for me for Brett Beatty. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's fun. 
All right. Well, moving back to the AL, we're going to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, it's actually kind of hard to believe it, but the Rays actually finished third in the AL East last year. They didn't really do much this offseason. They picked up Zach Eflin, um, who to me is actually a real fun sleeper pick for pitchers. Uh, but I'm not here to talk about Eflin. I'm actually here to talk about Wander Franco. Um, he's currently like the 14th shortstop off the board based on consensus ADP. But there's some guys with multi-positional eligibility in front of him. So he's really just kind of in that last tier of shortstops who we would considered like a legitimate starter in, in fantasy leagues, like 12 teamers. Um, and he's not really a guy that you're filling in at middle infield spot or utility spot unless you try to do some fun things in the draft. Um, remember, so Franco, kind of the story about him, right? He entered the back. He, he entered the league back in 2021 with a lot of hype. Um, he eventually earned himself 102 $182 million extension, making him the youngest baseball player to sign a contract worth $100 million. Um, expectations were, you know, basically through the roof for Franco. However, in 2022, it was a much different season. He was dealing with multiple injuries, um, and that kind of just cut down his his playing time, obviously. There were some high points, right? He finished 85th percentile for average, 99th percentile for K rate. You know, basically, he's hitting the ball, and he's not striking out a lot, which is, which is good. Um, but looking at the overall makeup of his past two seasons in the majors, Franco slashed 282, 337, 439. He's hit 13 homers, and he stole 10 bases in about 153 games of work, so about a full season. These are good numbers, right? They're not they're not bad, uh, but they're not great, right? They're not what you expect from a guy who signed a $182 million contract. Um, there are a few things to be optimistic about, right? He has that really good hit tool, right? He hit for average. He doesn't strike out a lot. And in spring training this year, he's actually attempted to steal a base every time he's gotten onto the base paths. Now, he's only gone onto the base paths three times. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. He's not going to be doing this during the regular season. That's Estuary Ruiz territory, and we should not expect Franco to re be doing that. Um, also, he got caught twice. He's only in the 61st percentile for sprint speed. Um, but if the Rays are allowing him to be this aggressive on the base paths in spring, it's not out of the question that he could have 20 bags this season. Uh, if you add that to his already incredibly incredible hit tool, and assuming that as he you know ages, he's going to be developing more power, there's a, there's a possibility where he has a 15-20 season with a 285 average. If you get that from a guy who you know you're picking up as the low tier starting shortstop, I think you'd take that for sure. That that's basically like a top eight shortstop uh, stat line. So yeah, Franco's is one of those guys I'm very interested in how he's going to look this spring, um, and we'll see how it all shakes out for him. So this might be a hot take, but I am not a big Wander Franco fan for fantasy, and. The reason is I just haven't seen anything that's, like, impressed me in terms of that. Like, he's a great hitter. Let's not get it mm -hmm. twisted. Like, he's a great hitter. He's going to be an asset for average. Great eye at the plate. Doesn't strike out a lot. But in terms of the counting stats, like you said, 13 homers and 10 bases in about 153 games. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't excite me much. And he's young, so he's got a lot of potential. And I guarantee you he's going to be great this year because I'm talking about this right now. But... <laughs> yeah. I think Wander Franco is just one of those guys that's a better real-life player than fantasy player. Oh, completely. I mean, he, he has value in average leagues. Right. Obviously. But if he only plays, like, let's just say, if he only plays 100 games, he hits 8 homers, steals 10 bags. Like, do you really want that guy as your right. starting shortstop? Right. right. That's like, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. his best scenario, in my opinion, is like 20 homers, 15 steals. 
or 15 homers, 20 steals. Like that's his best right. scenario. And if you're going to take that in the first five rounds, yeah, I just can't see it. I don't get the hype. You know what I mean? Like I know he's great. Totally. I know he's going to be great in real life, but I just don't see it for fantasy. Right. Well, and, and that's the really interesting thing about Franco is like if everything works out, right, he's a top five shortstop, right? But the problem is he's on a team that's not going to get him a lot of RBI or run opportunities. And yes, the average is high, but if he basically is at a 75 percentile of his ability, right? Just let's just say 10 homers, 10 steals. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a guy that you're taking in the top eight rounds, let's just say. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I see from it. So hot take. I hope Wander Franco is amazing. I hope he's elite and amazing, especially for Rays fans and Wander Franco drafters. But I have never drafted Wander Franco. I probably will never draft Wander Franco unless I see something out of him this season or next season where he's exploding onto the scene with big numbers because that's what fantasy is all about. Right. The other thing, too, is actually I believe he's playing in the WBC for the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Um. So we'll see if he steals bases there. Um, obviously it's, it's a little different, right? Cause it's a different manager. They, they don't care about what the Rays think. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if we're seeing a little bit of power there, you know, if we're seeing a little bit of speed there, um, I'm not saying that you go out and, and you know, you pick him up in, in the top five rounds, but maybe it's a guy that you're willing to be like, you know, maybe I'll take him Yeah, you know, right. in, in the eighth or ninth round. Yeah. Yeah, well, moving back to the NL East, we've got the Philadelphia Phillies, the almost World Series winners. This one was easy, but the news about his tender elbow complicates this one a little bit. Obviously, the guy that I'm interested in is Andrew Painter. This kid is 19 years old and is a legitimate contender for the fifth spot in the Phillies rotation. He was drafted in the first round of the 2021 draft and sports a four-pitch arsenal with a 98-mile-per-hour fastball. In the minors last season... Painter pitched 103.2 innings, had 155 strikeouts, a 1.56 ERA, and a 0.89 whip, which is just disgusting. He is nasty on the mound and is my number two pitching prospect right behind Grayson Rodriguez. Now, what I'll be looking for in spring is does he win that fifth rotation spot? If he comes out dealing and someone like Bailey Falter or Christopher Sanchez struggle in spring, he very well could land the job and absolutely skyrocket up draft boards. However, we'll have to wait and see with this injury now. Hopefully he's okay because, man, Painter looks so good. I watched a few of his outings in the minors, and I saw some highlights, and he is nasty. Like, he looks MLB ready, and he's only 19. He was drafted two years ago. Like, that is just insane. I don't know. This kid looks special, and I think he's going to be really good. It stinks that the hype train is kind of at a halt now that he has this elbow tenderness but man Andrew Painter could be good and then also just a side note I'm keeping an eye on Alec Bohm in spring as well he's had a great start with a 350 batting average and three homers in seven games if he gets that power up he could be a sneaky good option for third base so definitely watching Bohm as well yeah Painter I mean what can you say about a guy who is 19 is and it's going to take, potentially take the number five spot for a team that was in the World Series last year yep right? exactly they clearly believe in his stuff, um, even though he's that young. Um, I mean, looking at his numbers, he touched 99 on his uh, on his fastball. His average was 97. So, I mean, he's again, he's only 19. He still has a, lo a long way to grow. Um, so that'll be a fun progression to follow. Um, but yeah, if he gets that job, he, he is kind of a, a fun pick. Yeah, 
I completely agree. I think Painter's going to be great, and I'm really hoping that he's healthy and will start in the majors this season because I think he's ready. But before we get into the next two teams each, we will be right back after this. All right, we are back. John, hit us with another team from the AL East. All right. Well, you actually kind of spoiled it a little bit, uh, (laughs) but we're going to be going to the Orioles. Um, Just a recap on the Orioles season. Uh, they were chasing a playoff spot, which was a crazy thing to say about the Orioles. Um, they ultimately fell short to the Rays, um, but they actually finished over 500 for the first time since 2016. Um, there's a lot of hype from their young guys. Adley Rutschman looked decent in his first season. Uh, there's plenty of hype around Gunnar Henderson. He's going pretty high, actually, in a lot of drafts because um, he's got third base and shorts up eligibility this year. Uh, but the guy that I'm really interested in is the other rookie that may, might be coming up to Baltimore out of camp, and that is your number one pitching prospect, Grayson Rodriguez. Um, Greerat has started twice um, during spring training, both with pretty positive results. He pitched two shutout innings against the Tigers, got one strikeout, and then he pitched 2.2 innings against the Twins, giving up only one run uh, on a homer, I believe, and he struck out four other guys. Um, so just kind of some numbers on Greyrod. And AAA last year, he had a 2.2 ERA, a .93 whip, and a 20% K-minus walk rate, uh, which is insane. Right, I don't think he's going to replicate that in the majors this year. Uh, but the main thing I do want to see is if that command translates to the majors. Right, you don't get a twenty-eight percent K minus walk rate without having a low walk rate. Um, in his outing against the Twins, he was basically going up against a lineup of all major leaguers. He struck out Joey Gallo, Carlos Correa, Trevor Larnock, Michael A. Taylor. Um, so yeah, guys who are legit major leaguer, major league hitters. Um, his strategy was mostly high heaters and low changeups. Uh, worked pretty well. Um, his he was getting swinging strikes on his his fastball, which is an, a good thing to see. Um, just elevating it, and um, yeah, guys just swinging just couldn't catch up to it or swung under it. Um, if it works out in spring and he's continuing to not walk a lot of guys and losing the command, uh, Grayson could be a nice pickup in drafts. He's currently going around pick one eighty nine according to. Uh, fantasy pros consensus um, that's about the 15th round and 12 teamers basically an sp5 or 6 um, i wouldn't be surprised to see that stock rise a little bit if we do get official confirmation that he's going to be in baltimore come april um, so it's just something to watch out if you know you're in a league that has a little bit of a later draft um, maybe you want to pick up grayson a little bit earlier than uh, what consensus would say if you really believe in this stuff as you said, my number one pitching prospect, Grayson Rodriguez, he is so good, and he looks ready, dominant. I'm excited to see what he does, and like you said, if he does get confirmation that he's in the rotation, then his price is going to skyrocket. I think he'll go around pick 120, 130, 140, somewhere around there, about 50 mm-hmm. picks more than what he's at right now. I think that he can be a great pitcher this season. I would love to take a gamble on him as my fifth or sixth starting pitcher. If he pans out, I think he's going to be the catalyst for a Orioles team that is better than we think. Yeah, I mean, looking at the Orioles lineup, the other guys that are maybe competing for that number five spot are Tyler Wells, yeah. Austin Voth, well, Keegan Aiken. Yeah. Um, obviously, John Means is coming back from Tiny John. Yeah, we love John Means. August. Yeah, <laughs> so he is not pushing Grayrod out of that spot anytime soon. So, I, I mean, I really do think he he ends up making the team. The Orioles, I mean, other than you know the the dumb sort of uh, time manipulation thing, yeah. time manipulation, they have no reason to not bring him up. Um, 
So in my opinion, he's I, I think he is the number five starter. Um, I haven't picked him up in eight drafts yet, uh, but it might be a fun one to look at. Maybe maybe he's like a fun dollar pitcher in some in an auction draft that I'm going to be doing soon. I would definitely take the flyer on that. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the Miami Marlins from the NL East. This team is just not fair when it comes to starting pitchers. When it comes to the lineup, I mean, it's way more than fair. Beyond fair. like <laughs> yeah. It evens out really quickly. Yeah, yeah. It's very even. <laughs> but when it comes to pitchers, the Marlins have so much talent that they had to trade away Pablo Lopez just to make room for everyone. The player that I'm most excited about on the Marlins, besides MLB The Show 23 cover boy, Jazz Chisholm, of course, is Edward Cabrera. Cabrera's always been a highly touted prospect, and he showed off why in his 71.2 innings pitched last season. Across those innings, he had 14 starts, a 6-4 record, with a 3.01 ERA, a 1.07 whip, and 75 strikeouts. The only issue with Cabrera is his 11% walk rate, which is actually due to his four-seam fastball only having a 50% strike rate. His changeup is the elite pitch that generates a lot of strikes. The slider and curveball both are thrown for strikes as well. So in spring, I'll mainly be looking to see how the fastball command looks. Is he throwing it for strikes? Are his locations good? If he can cut that walk rate down and throw the four-seamer for a strike more often, Cabrera could emerge as a breakout star for fantasy this season. I would have him as a top 30 pitcher if all things broke right. If he gets to that 130 innings mark, I, it's kind of ambitious. I would hope he gets to like where Luis Severino would be, 140. But he only had 71 innings last season, so maybe a little ambitious on my part. But if he does pitch a good amount of the season and he is able to throw that fastball for a strike more often, I think Edward Cabrera has immense upside. I mean, my favorite thing about that is his 92-mile-an-hour changeup. Yeah, um, disgusting. So it It's such a fun thing to watch. Um, the, the good thing about Cabrera is that he, he limits hard contact, right? He's he's top in the league in that. Yep. So he's not giving up a lot of you know hard hits, which is really good. Um, and he's striking guys out for the most part. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how the Marlins employ him this season. Um, they also have another young guy coming up, Yuri Perez, who I love. Yep, um, he's great too. They just have so much talent. Yeah, it's disgusting, see. really. Yeah. Um, he he is one of those guys, though, where it's like, if he does figure it out, right, if he bring, brings out that walk rate, um, yeah, he could be elite. Yep. Uh, moving back to the AL then, the last team in the AL East, the Boston Red Sox. Um, definitely some interesting names here in Boston. Um, we talked about Justin Turner a little bit earlier about him being, you know, sort of an impact bat for that team. If you had asked me this question maybe four months ago, I think the most interesting player would have been Trevor Story, but we all know what happened to him. Um, so the guy that I want to talk about is Masataka Yoshida. Um, He's... We've already mentioned a bunch of times, basically, outfield is not very deep this season. Yoshida's going around pick 184 in drafts, slotting in as kind of an outfielder three, outfielder four on your rosters. Uh, the Red Sox signed him this season from the MPB uh, in a five-year deal worth $90 million. So clearly they you know, have at least some belief in his ability to succeed in the United States. Uh, just for some context, Suzuki last year signed for $85 million over the same contract length. Um, Suzuki has just more power in his game. Yoshida is probably a little bit more of a on-base machine than than Suzuki, uh, but you know, similar similar sort of makeups, I guess. Um, Yoshida, as in his career in Japan, 
has slashed 326, 419, 538. So uh, clearly no slouch there. Um, really good average, really good on base percentage, and he's also slugging the ball pretty well. Last year he slashed 335, 447, 561. Um, kind of in context, if you consider the the MPB to be about the same level as AAA, uh, Yoshida would have easily led AAA in OPS and average last year. So clearly he's, you know, you could see him as a, a top-end prospect. Yes, he's, you know, in his late 20s, uh, but he's clearly got some promise to him. Um, the other thing, too, is he did hit 21 homers, so there is some power there, uh, but it's hard to immediately translate that to... Uh, play in the major leagues because, for example, say Suzuki hit, I believe, like 30 plus homers in his uh, last season in Japan, but clearly nowhere close to that this season um, or this past season. Obviously, injuries were involved a little bit, but it wasn't exactly the same amount of power. Um, so, what am I looking for this spring from Yoshida? Um, I just want to see that Yoshida isn't outmatched uh, facing major league pitching. One of his calling cards is his ability to draw walks. He drew 80 walks last year. It, which was good for basically a 15% walk rate, that would have placed him firmly in the top five in the majors last year. Um, if he has that same eye and he's able to you know, pick up on major league pitching and there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to, uh, that high walk rate is going to be really valuable in OBP leagues. It won't be as valuable in average leagues, but he does hit for good average anyways. Um, so yeah, his that'll be an interesting thing for me to, to follow. The only problem is he's playing in the WBC. Um, so we're not going to be able to see him go against maybe as high quality pitching as he would have in spring training, but he is going to be having competitive at bats. So we'll see if, you know, he continues that same patient, um, if he considers that same patient approach, uh, when he's playing in the WBC, uh, he only had five at bats this spring and he went one for five. So really there's not much that we can take from his spring training experience here. Um, so yeah, I think the problem is we just we won't really know anything about Yoshida until April, and even then we really won't know until the entire season's done. So it's more if you're willing to take the risk on this guy. Um, he's an outfielder three right now in drafts, which means that he is not necessarily droppable, but he's replaceable. Um, and especially in you know smaller leagues like ten teamers or twelve teamers, um, there's going to be a guy that you can replace Yoshida on your on your draft. If you're drafting the, in a fifteen teamer, I don't know if I'd have as much confidence in drafting him right now. Um, but it's definitely I think worth the risk uh, as long as he stays healthy and he's able to see the ball the same way as he did in Japan. It's so hard to gauge what Japanese players will do going from their league to ours. And it's so tough to project someone like Masataka Yoshida. Like projections love this mm -hmm. guy for some reason. Like yeah. they're all over him and he didn't hit many homers in Japan. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to have good power here either, but I think he's going to be an on-base machine. Good average. I think they might lead him off or bat him fourth. We'll see how that goes, but the one thing I'm going to be watching is his performance in the WBC. Like, obviously, he's not going to be facing the same talent and pitching. I mean, granted, half the time in spring training, you're facing backup people anyway. But right, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how his game plays because we don't watch a lot of these guys because they're in a different league and different time zones and stuff. So we really don't know what Masataka Yoshida is all about. It'll mm -hmm. be really cool to see how his swing looks, how he plays in big pressure situations. And that's what I'll be watching for in the WBC when I watch Japan games. Mm -hmm. And if he looks good, I'd be more inclined to take him in my drafts. But it's such a question mark. It's such a risk, not in terms of health or any of that. But 
you don't know what you're going to get from a guy that you could maybe get someone like Hunter Renfro or someone around that range that you can mm-hmm. rely on. You could have some big upside with Yoshida, or he could be someone that's just like a Brandon Nimmo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's the tough thing, right? Because the guys that he's going around, you you just have to compare it to those guys, right? Yep. Like the, that, it's like what you mentioned, right? You could pick Yoshida, or you could pick Oscar Gonzalez, right? You could pick Yoshida, or you could pick Ian Happ, Brandon Nimmo, right? Lars Nupar. Lars Nupar, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just like... Are you willing to, and, and this kind of goes into the fantasy strategy, right? It, it's not about the player at this point. It's just kind of what risk are you willing to take? And it was kind of funny, like people were kind of saying, you know, what's what's Yoshida's comp? You know, like what could, what could he be like? It's like, well, you know, best case scenario, he's Alex Verdugo. Well, yeah, that doesn't him, sound good. <laughs> him and Verdugo are going around the same place in drafts. Yep. And it's like, do you want Verdugo, who we at least have some data on in terms of major league baseball experience or do you want Yoshida who could be the same thing right right I think I think that's going to be a very interesting question um in redraft leagues I think in auction leagues though it's a little bit easier to take a flyer on Yoshida if you're just like I'm just going to drop a dollar for him so yeah I think that's true as well I mean we'll have to see with Yoshida it's always hard to gauge these Japanese players and seeing how good they'll be over here but if he does look good you can expect his price to go up next season for sure Mm. Moving back to the NLEs for the final team, the Washington Nationals. There aren't many exciting players on this team, which is crazy to think about considering that they won the World Series just four years ago. Obviously, that team had Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Max Scherzer, all of whom aren't on the team anymore. But the Nationals look absolutely dreadful now. There's one player in that lineup that could give huge returns in fantasy, though, and that's C.J. Abrams. A top prospect that was acquired in the Juan Soto trade, Abrams got his first shot in the majors last season and wasn't extremely impressive. He had a 280-324-604 slash line with two home runs and seven steals in 90 games. That's the part that kind of, eh, because 280 average sounds good, seven steals is good, but in 90 games, that's kind of rough. The crazy thing about Abrams, though, is he hasn't played much in the minors, so we don't really have an example of what he can do over a full season. In three seasons of the minors, 2019 to 2022, Abrams has only played in 114 games in the minors. However, Abrams has 80 grade speed. He can fly, and now as the everyday shortstop on a team that isn't going to be competitive, I think he'll always have the green light. For spring training, I'll mainly be looking at where the Nationals are batting him in the lineup, and if he's running a lot. The power is a big question mark with Abrams, but I think it's possible for him to be a 10-homer, 30-40 to steal guy that you can grab outside of the first 250 picks in your draft. And if that's the case, he's worth every penny, but he could also be a bust, a huge bust, someone that's not worth anywhere near the first 250 picks. I mean, like I said, two homers, seven steals, and 90 games isn't serviceable, so... Is it lofty to expect 10 homers, 30 to 40 steals? Yes, but that 80 grade speed is real. And with the bigger base change, he could really live up to his expectations. Yeah, so I've, I've got a thought experiment for you. Okay. Ezekiel Tovar, DJ Abrams, or Esther Ruiz. Who are you taking out of those three? Okay, so my order for that is Esther Ruiz, Ezekiel Tovar, CJ Abrams. Yeah, I think, I think maybe I have... Tovar over Ruiz just by a tiny bit, but not That's really fair. that much. Yeah. Um, My thought process yeah. on that is 
Tovar is going to hit for more power, just granted course field. Yep. And I think he's just going to be more powerful than Estier Ruiz and CJ Abrams. But mm. I think Ruiz's speed alone, the fact that he could give you 40, 50 steals, just the yeah. possible tantalizing upside of that makes me mm-hmm. more ambitious to grab him than Tovar. But they're very close. I wouldn't be mad if you flipped either of them. Right. I think with CJ Abrams, the thing I'm going to look at, right, is ultimately where does that average end up? Yep. Um, because the only way he's going to help your team out is through average and steals. Um, and, you know, again, he's that guy. He's sitting on your bench. Maybe you sneak him in for a couple days or a week or things like that if if the matchup is good. Uh, but he's just going to be a tough guy for me to trust. Um, not, not because Tovar or Ruiz are you know better players it's just that the the upside that they can bring to your team i think is more than what abrams can provide right now like i said out of the three i ranked i have abrams at the bottom just because Mm -hmm. what i've seen so far isn't extremely impressive the speed is real like i said the speed is absolutely real and because of the base change he will probably steal 30 bases but if he's batting Mm -hmm. 240 with 30 steals and four homers it's just not as appealing as right. what the other guys can give you, where I think Ezekiel Tovar can go 15 homers, 15 steals. I think Estero Ruiz can go 10 homers, 40 steals. So mm-hmm. I just think those two guys are better. But if you need someone late for a middle infield spot, C.J. Abrams is a guy that has potential. And if he's good, Definitely. he could be a league changer. So Yeah. To me, to me, he's a lot like John Birdie. Where... Yes. Like Birdie had that magical, what, month, yeah. basically. <laughs> yep. And we could see that out of Abrams. Like, he could be really valuable for a couple months. Um, and it's also tough, too, because there's really nothing else that's, like, positive to say about the Nationals. I mean, I know we talked about Kyber Ruiz earlier. Yep. But, oh, my goodness, this team is just, like, Joey Meneses, I guess, has some value a little yeah. bit. But, oh, goodness, that this team is just hard to watch. It's uh, really bad. You just know <laughs> C.J. Abrams is not going to get a lot of runs or RBI it's yeah. mainly just the steals you're chasing at that point mm-hmm. with him and the average. Mm-hmm. So it's so hard to gamble on a guy like that where you know the team around him just doesn't care. Like, not the players, but the organization doesn't care. So right. yep. it's going to be tough, man. The Washington Nationals are dreadful. Yeah. But, you know, if if there is one bright spot, it might be Abrams and his steals this year. Yeah, because, that's the one like bright said, spot. They're going to give him the green light. They have no reason to not let him run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do like that in terms of like a util guy, right? You just put him in for steals. You're not expecting anything else out of him. Yep, that's exactly what he is. And hopefully he can be good. But that wraps up our whole entire AL and NL preview of guys that we're watching in spring training that we like for fantasy. Hopefully all of these names give you something to think about for your drafts. Hopefully you learn something about all of these players and in the previous episodes as well. So we hope you liked that. We're not sure what the next segment will be for our podcast before opening day, but make sure you tune in every Saturday and check out our podcast. Now, before we go, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL. Also, send us your comments and questions at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKe. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can follow myself on Twitter at at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. Also, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you can find us and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. 
Lastly, sign up for PitcherList Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee. We'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.